I'm Holiday. I'm Tarrant. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Get Whoa! Over there. <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warmth? Picture it. Sicily, 1922. Hi, folks. Welcome to Killer's Coach and Nutjobs 2.0. Yeah, I, I decided to throw 2.0 in since we're doing a whole new format here. I am, as always, your host, the great race star, Scotty J. And joining me for the first time ever, on the show. You guys have probably dealt with her on the uh, Facebook page. She's one of the admins. She's a good friend, and hell, she knows more about this stuff than I do. Joining me now is my co-host, is Monica. How you doing? Glad to be here. About time. Uh, you, you're right. Just give her a while, folks. This is our first time recording, <laughs> so you'll take her back and warm up to you. Okay. Oh, well, let's get started with this. Now, th th this one, I'm sure if you went to, like, you know, Tibet and showed one of the Tibet bucks a picture, they're going to know who this guy is. This, this, we're going to talk about Charlie Manson. And I often wonder if Charlie is a case of, uh, you know, the old argument, nature versus nurture. Or if he was just the proverbial bad seat. You know, and in a lot of ways, I don't think we're ever going to know the true story behind Charlie. Now, I, with Charlie, I can see similarities between him and my father, so that's kind of one reason why I'm a little bit drawn to Charlie. And Charlie, you know, throughout his life, he gave exaggerated stories. Uh, he told lies, to, and he loved to play the proverbial victim like my dad did. And, you know, through research, we found out that uh, a lot of times Charlie instigated the problems that he caused in life. So to understand Charlie, like we really need to understand Charlie. Maybe he's your uncle. We're going to go back. To, <laughs> what was that? Maybe he's your uncle. You know, I that would not be surprised. Well, <laughs> You know, Phil always said you never saw my dad and Charlie in the same room together at the same time. Oh, know? so yeah. Well, I've known about him since I was. God, I honestly can't remember time I didn't know about him. By now, <laughs> when I was eleven, I found at a yard sale the book on Helter Skelter, and we had just. Oh, the book. Yeah, yeah, and we had just been to the Cielo Drive, you know, a couple of months oh, before nice, my first trip nice. to California. And I remember my grandfather can't specifically remember what he said, but it was basically, why would you want to read a book about him? Like, I guess, you know, yeah, be 11. I don't know, but yeah, it's just, all this true crime stuff's been ingrained in me. Right, well, someday I'm gonna have to, uh dig out a picture of my dad when he was younger, like in his 20s. He, he looked like Charlie. Of course, in his 20s was like right after the, the trial 
and everything. And yeah, there's some pictures with, with cute little me as, you know, couple, you know, one, two, three-year-old, and there's my father looking like Charlie. So it's left me wondering all these years. Yeah, it was a stopover in California to... You know, was, well, Dad was a truck driver, so it's a possibility he, he could have been out there. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. It explain you a lot, yeah. too, so. <laughs> you know, no, back in those days, he, he did, I was too young. I remember being in this rig when I was in um, first grade, so those 70, no. Oh, well, the genetics, I mean. <laughs> well, probably. All right. We're gonna we're gonna go take a look at Charlie's childhood, and we're gonna go start with his mom, Kathleen, as her full name is Ada Kathleen Maddox. She was born in 1928 in Rowan County, Kentucky. Her father was a railroad worker. Her mother was a religious woman, so you know that had a good combination. And she grew up in Kentucky, but as a teen, she began to sneak across the river and head into the town of Irontown, Ohio to um, have fun. Now, during one of these trips, 15-year-old Kathleen met a man named Colonel Scott, who was 23. They began to meet regularly, and by the time Kathleen was 16, you know, she found out she was pregnant. Too bad 16 pregnant was a murder at that point. Also, she did what any girl would actually do after she told parents. She told Colonel Scott, and he just kind of went, uh, yeah, you know what, baby, that's fine. Um, I got to cut down on army business. Well, what she didn't know was that he was, Colonel Scott was not his name. He was not in the army. And folks, he was married. And he wasn't. What a guy. It's like, but hey, you know, <laughs> those military men get you every time, don't they? Yeah, I mean, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> you hit a little too close. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> First episode already. Can't get a break from you. Okay. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, so uh, well, I can, Kathy, it took some. What? Oh, no, never mind. Yeah, now I'm good. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, this whole story on Charlie's going to turn into therapy hour. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) It took Kathleen several months to realize that the colonel had no intention of taking taking care of her and her baby. Now, we're not sure. History has not told us how Kathleen met or knew William Manson. But on August 21st, 1938, they were married. On November 12th, Charles Mills Manson was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's another claim to fame for Cincinnati there. One of the plank outside the hospitals. Here, here's where Charlie Manson was born. Yeah. Now, I personally prefer Cleveland, but. Cleveland Rocks. Yep. Yeah. Now, being a teen mom was 
and a wife was not something that Kathleen planned, and she still went out at night. I'm just a prom night dumpster baby. I got no mom or dad. And when she went out, Charlie was left with his grandfather. And well, naturally, William got tired of his wife's activities. And after two and a half years of marriage, he divorced Kathleen on April 30th, 1937. Before everything was finalized, Kathleen went to Kentucky to search for Carl Scott. And she filed a bastard suit against him. Which had two meanings. <laughs> right. Well, it's Kentucky, so you know, you gotta That's make it. sure it's um you know, you make sure he's blood. Oh yeah. You know? Well well, it's not as bad as Alabama, but it's close. Okay, so she said in court that Carl Scott was Charles Charlie's dad, and he may have seen Charlie a few times. The court ordered him to pay five bucks a month for child support, but he never did. Man, he got off white. Yeah, I think even back then, like five bucks isn't for yeah, five bucks a month isn't wasn't bad. For nineteen thirty-seven? No, five bucks a month was like royalty. Yes, but I mean it wasn't really like that he wouldn't have been able to afford it or anything, kind of deal. Right. Well, we don't know what Carl Scott did for a living. Yeah. Other than seduce young girls. Uh huh. <laughs> so, anyway, like Kathleen and Charlie stay with different family members. While there's no record of Kathleen looking for work, by October 2nd of 1938, she was engaged to James Ruby. And the engagement didn't last as it was assumed James had some convictions as bootlegger. So, and Kathleen, one of her friends, and her brother were arrested on August 1st, 1939 for an unarmed robbery. She was sent to Moundsville yeah, Prison. Yeah, know, right? It's like West Virginia for five years. And Charlie, at the time, was only five himself. So, Charlie went to live with his aunt, uncle, and cousin in McMeacham, West Virginia. His family found out they needed to be the center of attention. And if no one paid attention to him, he would start to cause trouble to get that attention. He also had a knack for lying about everything. And so on his first day of school, Charlie had the toughest teacher in first grade. I swear it's teachers even back then, early years, they can either make or break the kids. Oh, yeah. So, Especially back then, man, they were some. T- they were about as tough as uh, as Catholic nuns. Yeah, those penguins were me. Yep. So this is just. I really. This is like the one and only time I feel sorry for Charlie, but it says that. Oh, you would. Yeah. Yeah. So when she proceeded to tell the class that Charlie wouldn't amount to anything and humiliated him for the rest of the day, so he went. Back to his house, crying about what happened. And when his uncle found out what happened, instead of talking to Charlie or you know, going to the school with the shotgun, he sent him back to school in one of his cousin's dresses they had to wear. <laughs> which 
I have just I I lost for words with that one. Right well, there, because I, mean, like, I get it. No, boys don't cry, but still, that's some psychological trauma. There. Yeah, exactly. Like so, yeah. This is like literally the only time that like and feel sorry for him, and I'm sure this definitely had the effect on him too. And then everything else piled on top. Yeah. But, well, I know. Um, you know, later in life, he, he talked about this in interviews, and this is like the only thing that in his interviews that we can actually confirm with evidence that actually happened. Yes. I, think, I mean, I think you can look it up on uh, YouTube. It's one of the interviews he did with Diane Sawyer that he talked about his uncle putting him in a dress and making him wear it the next day at school. Yes. I'm sorry. So I'm just like, yeah, it's right. Well, me being a little smart ass, I'd put on a show while I was wearing the dress. Oh, well, yeah, you around, would. Yeah. You know? Uh huh. Be doing cartwheels, you know. Oh, cartwheels. Uh -huh. I had the bent over, flip, flipped up the back so people could see the little frilly panties I had on underneath. Yes, yeah, like, hey, you're gonna own it. Yes, yeah, but kind of, have, I have to wonder, like, what would have happened. Now, if this hadn't occurred in his life, I mean, obviously he had a bad start anyway, but right. how much, you know, really did affect the way well, he acted in right. labor, I mean, too. It's a good question. I mean, it's a really good question. If, if he had a better chance in life, would we even, well, would we even really know who he is? Yeah, because someone's just, Make this show a little bit deeper than it was meant to be, huh? Well, right. <laughs> Sorry about I that, could, folks. I could get the, oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're turning in for my monthly commentary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, kind of the same way with Bundy, too. But for oh, the whole lesson. Eileen Werner's, I mean, yeah, we could have the whole Rogue's Corner or Rogue's Alley, right? Your dad, right? <laughs> oh, I, I can. I'm, I'm waiting to tell you stories about him. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do nah, a I'm show sure on him one. Yeah. I mean, I'm but. sure one of our listeners is waiting for that story to come back up. Uh huh. Yeah, you're definitely gonna have to do that. Fine. So uh, now it's still me for, but okay. Heck, yeah, but yeah, this is part two. It's like. He would always remain a poor student, but and he got picked on because of how small he was and the way he ran his mouth. <laughs> and also, I know that uh huh. But also, for some reason, he could get the girls in his class to do whatever he told them to do. So, like when one boy picked on him, he got some of the schoolgirls to beat up the bully. Instead of doing it himself, and guess you can get Neil. Okay. Take care of that. Sorry. Said it was right. Don't worry, folks. We're working out the kinks here. You're right. You're in the room. As they say on small town murder, you're in the car. You're going on the robbery with us, man. And we're in different time zones too, so it's not helping. Right. 
So Charlie also liked to start trouble and blame it on others. Charlie had one love in his life, and that was music. He also developed an interest in guns and knives. Uh, that's kind of scary there. Now, he could play the piano by ear, and it had a good singing voice. The family had to drag him to church, but once he got there, the music kept his interest. Now, he managed to survive two and a half years with his aunt uncle. In 43, Kathleen was released after serving three years of a five-year sentence. The family made it clear that you and your kid are not welcome around here. So she hit the road with Charlie. Well, life wasn't easy for these two. Kathleen still went out at night, leaving Charlie with some uh, questionable people as babysitters. Now, Charlie began to skip school and started stealing small things at first. By now, his mother landed in Indianapolis. And as an adult, Charlie would say that it was around this time his mom was a teenage prostitute. But there is no record existing that backs this claim up. In one of the interviews, he said that uh, his mom was a teenage prostitute and sold him for a gallon of milk. And that's a cheap rate. Well, it depends on how much the gallon of milk was. As Charlie continued to be a problem child, Kathleen found a new manner of life and a place to try and help Charlie. The Gibalt School for Boys. The curriculum required religion, and boys who misbehaved often received a paddling. Charlie would later claim that he was beat every day with paddles the size of baseball bats. But as typical with Charlie, we can assume that this is a lie. We can assume that Charlie did receive some discipline, but not as much as he calls. Now, he managed to run away and make it back to his mom, but mom, being a caring soul, sent him back to school. Ten months later, he'd escaped again, but this time he went to the streets of Indianapolis. Breaking the buildings to steal money so he could get a room. But this would get him caught. He was sent to the court. When he was sent to court, where the judge sent him to Boys Town in Nebraska, Charlie was 13 years old. Boys Town was the best place in the country to send wayward boys. Boys Town is real. It is a drama greater than the imagination of Hollywood's best storytellers. 4,000 boys have passed through this city of little men. And now the drama, the laughter, the heartache and the triumph of all these boys is crystallized in the story of one young renegade who came from the back streets into conflict with the one man who could save him. Uh, you ever see that movie with, I think it was uh, Spencer Tracy and Vicky uh, Rook? Actually, I haven't. You seem shocked, but yeah, I honestly, yes, yeah, like, but yeah, yeah, honestly, never have seen that one. Um, I've seen bits of it. Uh, it's funny seeing Spencer Tracy doing an, an Irish bro to uh, Mickey Rooney, who's, who in life probably stood as tall as he did when he was a teen, you know? Yeah, that's like, I was never really into Spencer Tracy, so that partially explains why you know now you probably watch it more but jimmy stewart was uh, well, i was just about to say that yeah it was jimmy stewart was in it please i know it so 
Exactly, yeah. Well, Charlie goes boys tell us so much. He ran as late as soon as he got there. Charlie and another student stole the car and made their way to uh, Quincy, Illinois. Oh, no, not Quincy, Peoria. It was a town in Illinois. I was close. Along the way, the Whitby Criminals decided to commit two armed robberies, which is a huge increase in Charlie's criminal resume. After two weeks on the run, he was captured and sent to the Indiana Boys School in Plainfield, Indiana. Again, later in life, Charlie would claim that he was raped immediately after he entered the school. Not the only entrance that was going on. Oh. <laughs> Despite his small size and knack for getting into trouble, there's little doubt he was raped. To protect himself, Charlie created the insane game where he would make wild arm gestures and facial expressions to scare away some of the bigger inmates. And obviously that's something he kept on doing because basically until the day he died. So there's yeah, spoiler there alert a, there. There's a, a video and I, I, I kind of cut it into an old uh, Charlie uh, perfume commercial where, like, he had half of his head shaved the rest was long. Oh, yeah. He's sitting there making goofy faces. Uh-huh. That came, that came to me in a dream one night. Yeah, strange dreams. <laughs> At least it's one I can remember. Oh, yeah. Not like the ones you can't remember. I don't know. In 1945, Charlie joined six other boys in an escape attempt. And before this, he had made four previous attempts to escape. But he was captured 12 hours later. Over the next four years, Charlie would escape and be sent to different reformatories across the country until he hit his 21st birthday. And, and the interesting thing to note is that in all these institutions, Charlie was given a psychological exam which I'm sure is probably the norm anyway for everybody there. But, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so each one said he was an adept criminal and he was institutionalized, could play the victim card well. Each one also noted there was no chance for him to be rehabilitated. So basically, I guess it was past, play past the buck with him with all the different places. So, yeah, it, yeah, especially when you have one that's uh, like a career... Um, career criminal like he was. He was an escape artist. Yeah. He hadn't hit the, the 21st birthday yet, so they couldn't send him to prison or anything. And But yeah, at the end of, at the age of 21, he was released from the juvenile system. He returned to Meckham. Yeah, Meckham where he found a job and a home. His criminal record made him outcast amongst the tight-knit group of young adults in town, which all I can picture is like, you know, the little 50s diner, the poodle skirts and everything, like oh, Back to the Future kind yeah, of you know, Right, you know, you got the kids in the corner going, I heard he went to prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah just like, yep. He lived with his grandmother and went to the local Nazarene church with her. At church, Charlie enjoyed the hymns and memorized scripture, something that would help him later in life. 
While the townspeople rejected him, he eventually found a girlfriend from Wheeling, West Virginia. Her name was Rosalie Willis. He poured on the charm and after knowing each other for just a few months, they were married. Small towns loved to gossip and the rumor was that she was pregnant. If she actually was, she lost the child. Charlie tried his best to be accepted by the town with a young wife and picking up the extra work around town. So there's proof that at least like once he tried to kind of go straight. Right. Okay. You know, Rosalie was like, I don't care about his past. I can change him. Yeah. I don't care yeah. if I'm a dad. He's such a sweet man towards me. I can change him. Uh-huh. Well, spoiler alert for her. Didn't work. He loves me, mommy. He loves me. <laughs> Oh, well, she actually did become pregnant and he went back to stealing cars to make the extra money since hey, nothing yeah. else seemed to work yeah, for him. Yep. So he stole a car and he took her out to California to reconnect with his mother since that was such a great relationship to start with. But while out in California, he worked odd jobs until police officer knows the out-of-state plates and when he ran a check on them, he found that the car was stolen. Charlie was arrested and received five years probation. And instead of just serving the probation, he ran back to Indianapolis. Once he was captured, his probation was revoked and then sent to Terminal Island Prison on April 26, 1956. He didn't even make it for kids being born because the child was born while he was on the run. So a lot has happened in just a yeah. few months. So once he got to uh, Terminal, was it Terminal? Yeah, once he got to Terminal Island, he, he enrolled in the University of Crime. He hung, up, he hung around with the pimps and learned their secrets on controlling women. Now see, you think you a pimp, but you can't be pimping, know what I'm saying? You want to be a pimp, then you got to learn the game. See, it's all about knowing the game. What's the game? The game is how you treat the bitches, know what I'm saying? Bitch got to know when she out there, she making your motherfucking money, know what I'm saying? You got your main bitch, know what I'm saying? That be your bottom bitch. That bitch ranked higher than all the other bitches, but she's still a bitch. Know what I'm saying? Yes, I, I know what you were saying. You don't have to keep asking. His mother, Rosalie, and his son, Charlie Jr. Sorry. His mother, Rosalie, and Charlie Jr. would come to visit him. Now, after a while, Kathleen had to tell Charlie that you know, Rosalie's no longer coming to visit because, well, son, she's going back to West Virginia and she's divorcing. Which most likely took hard. So part of the prison terms was to have inmates learn the trade. Charlie took classes based on Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends and Influence People. I actually found that book in a Barnes and Noble a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it's still in print too. Oh, it's probably what, right. like 100th printing or something by now, I'm sure. Well, I wanted, you know, I'm sure Dale Carnegie's dad. Oh, well, yeah. Dead, it's been so, yeah. Uh huh. I mean, you know, I can get him the autograph book. Fake. <laughs> now, this book. Can you sign my book, please? Yeah. 
Now, Dale Carnegie's classes would be important to Charlie later in life. He was released in 58 and embarked on his career as a pimp. But he found out that it ain't easy being a pimp. Wasn't that a song? Yeah, I'm thinking about cutting it in. I'm thinking about cutting it into the uh, into the track here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, many of the girls that he tried to recruit still remain close with their family. Since Charlie couldn't hold an actual job, and being a pimp, as we said, wasn't easy, he went back to stealing. He was caught for trying to cash a forged treasury check. Now, this carried some serious times. This, I believe, was a federal offense. But one of his uh, one of his ladies of the night said that she was pregnant with his kid and asked for leniency. Well, judge was sympathetic and he got a reduced sentence. Now, you would figure if you got a reduced sentence on a you know a felony, you would lie low. Not Charlie. Charlie took a few of his girls over to New Mexico to turn tricks. Now, this was in violation of the Mann Act and carried federal charges. And for those of you that don't know what the Mann Act is, it was basically a law passed that said you couldn't take a girl across state lines for sexual purposes. But in state was fine. Now, to try and save his that. What was that? I was like, in-state was fine, though. Oh, yeah, you, could, you know, you could go, like, here in Illinois, you go from, like, Chicago to Rockford and have sex, and that's fine. But if you want to cross the line to either Indiana or Wisconsin, nah, couldn't do it. But then in Indiana, you probably got to beat off the cousin, you know, beat off the girl's cousin. To, you know, uh, yeah, so. So... He's got these charges coming up, so to save his ass, he married one of his girls to prevent her from testifying against him. Because spouses can't testify against each other, right? Charlie was still out committing crimes and he ran to Texas. When his, uh, I'm going to be like Dr. Evil here, when his wife found this out, well, she started squealing and turned state's evidence against Charlie. So, and I mean, she told everything. Yeah, Charlie violated the Man Act. He did all this stuff. I wanted people. So Charlie was caught in Texas, sent back to California. The judge revoked his suspended sentence and sentenced him to 10 years at McNeil Island in Washington State. Now, Charlie was 26 right now, and he spent the past 14 years of his life in and out of the penal system. Hey, I got to do the whenever I can. Uh-huh. Charlie, when he got to McNeil, entered the master's program, finding people to teach him their knowledge. While there, Charlie came across a new religion called Scientology. And he began to incorporate some of their teachings into his own work. Charlie's second wife divorced him while he was in prison. See, this is what you learn. Don't get married and go to prison because your wife will divorce you. 
That's why I've never gone to prison. Has it helped with the divorce though? <laughs> well, yeah, I did get a divorce, but I wasn't I wasn't behind bars or anything. Yeah. I was a good boy. Now, while he was in prison, Charlie got to see the Beatles make their American television debut. Now, in introducing the Beatles again, may I point out that they'll be on our show, as I told our audience, for the next two Sundays. Next Sunday from Doville Hotel in the Miami Beach show starring Hollywood's exciting Mitzi Gaynor. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again... Well, as it did with millions of Americans across the country, this changed his world. He saw that these four British guys had girls screaming and throwing themselves at them. So Charlie, he gets an epiphany at this moment. He's like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a rock star. He began to practice with a guitar that his mom brought him. But he really wasn't the best at playing the guitar. And but while he played his guitar, he stayed out of trouble in prison. So hey, you know, plus but one in the one column. And his singing wasn't the best either. I mean, he could probably could use some uh, vocal coaching. But he was entertaining. And while he was in McNeil, he met this guy, Bill Kaufman. Now, you know, Bill heard the playing and heard the singing. But he knew Charlie was entertaining and Phil had connections in the music business on the outside world. So Charlie became friends. Hey, this guy's got connections. He can help me. Well, due to prison overcrowding, he was going to be released in March of 67. Space was needed. Charlie was good. But Charlie had this idea, and I this is one of those moments where I wish that prison officials would listen. Because he, he said, hey, if you let me out, I'm going to commit more crime and get back in here. And they're like, eh, we'll take that chance. So he was released on March 21st, 1967. And that's where we're going to end part one of Charlie Manson. Let's go. You said about, was it the gallon of milk? Like way yeah, back? Milk. That he was like getting traded for, or sold yeah. for? Yeah, it was a pitcher of beer. And then, like, supposed, yeah, and it was supposed, like, another that's probably another story that's you know, he just like made up again, right? But, yeah, there's been, um, there's been, like I said, he has exaggerated so much about his past that we don't really know what's going on, yeah. I just didn't want to be because you know, with. Hate to do it, but you know, I used to do it before, like listening. I'd be like, no, <laughs> right? So, and I mean, but yeah, I never. We may know. You, know, it's, it's Charlie. You know, we got to take what he says with, you know, like a. Oh well, like yeah. That, you know, uh huh. When your, when your kid's telling you this outrageous story that you know isn't true. Yeah, but I just want to sit down. Yeah, but I just had to be that and tell you it was the story, at least, was the pitcher of beer, not a gallon of milk. So, <laughs> this is why you brought me on. So, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, all right, we're going to wrap it here, folks. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
Also wanted to mention about Marilyn Meglin dying yesterday. The widow of Lee Meglin, who's Andrew Cunanan's third victim, actually in your area. Oh, yeah. And Lee's, Cunanan drove Lee's car over to my area where he killed William Reese, the fourth victim. And then... Oh, of course. Yeah. And then that's when William Reese's truck was found in the parking lot in South Beach after he killed Versace. So I just had to, since that, that's one of my, I hate to say it, but one of my favorite cases. Does it, so we're all friends here, everybody. It's like, with the true crime ones, right. I've read a lot. but So I just had to you know, make note of her death too, because it's part of you know, whole true crime sagas. That's another part's over. So God, nice, much nicer death than he did. So, right. Uh, well, I'm not on podcast guard anymore because I can't get into the damn website. And there's issues with it. So the show's now moved over to Podbean. You can find us there. I'm working through various routes to get us up on iTunes again. Because they love us. They really love us. Um, don't forget, we got the Facebook page. Join us there. And for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs, I am Scotty J. I'm Monica. And catch you later, folks. This concludes our broadcast day. Good night, and God bless you.